today, uh, today's sermon is going to, is titled, The Pursuit of Happiness. And so, let me, let me start off by asking you this question. What have you lived for? There was a study conducted with about 3,000 people that found that 95% of them were not really living in the moment at all. They were enduring the present while waiting for something to happen in the future. For instance, they were waiting for their children to grow up and leave home waiting for next year when things will be better or different, waiting for that special one to show up, or waiting for the chance to take that trip or vacation they've been planning. Waiting, waiting for tomorrow. And you know, from what is happening today in our nation and worldwide, many people in a, in a sense are waiting for or hoping to get back to, to normal or, or life like it used to be. In the meantime, a lack of meaning and contentment in the very fabric of our culture has begun to show up. Domestic violence has increased. The sale of alcoholic beverages has skyrocketed. Suicides have increased. Why? Well, for one major reason... People have been forced to live with themselves now more than ever. Through being quarantined or not being able to do social activities like before, people have been living without the possibilities of distraction or relief. They can't go to a movie. They can't go to the bar. Theaters are closed. Going to the restaurants is kind of weird. Entertainment venues are closed. You can't go to a ball game. Sports on, on television are reruns and... I mean, who wants to watch a game when you know the final score? Or games are beginning to be played, but without fans, and that just adds to the weirdness of it all. It has caused our culture to come to terms with a shallow definition of happiness, if not the very meaning of their lives. I found this quote that says, That is human happiness. It is something dependent on the chances and changes of life. Something life might give, but that life might also take away. And that seems to be true, isn't it? For most people, happiness depends on what happens. We are happy if certain things happen to us. And if certain things don't happen to us, then our happiness vanishes. The trouble is, sometimes you think you got it and it turns out rather differently or it doesn't measure up. I found this a uh, crazy but insightful example of this. In New York City, there are at least 8 million cats and counting. New York City is basically concrete and steel, so when your cat dies, you can't go out in the backyard and bury it. Matter of fact, many people don't have a backyard, and the pet cemetery, and the pet cemetery costs about 1500 bucks. But the city charges a fee of $50 to come and take it away. One enterprising lady thought, I can render a service to people in the city and save them money. So she placed an ad in the newspaper that said, when your pet cat dies, I'll take it away for only 25 bucks. 
half the price. So this lady will go to the local thrift store and buy a buy an old suitcase for uh, an old suitcase for like two or three bucks. Then when someone will call about their pet, she go and get it and then place the cat in the suitcase. She will then take a ride in the subway in the early evening hours, which is the perfect time for pit pockets and thieves. So she set the suitcase down like uh, 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 she set the suitcase down and, and then act like she wasn't watching. Without fail, without fail. Some thief will come by when the doors open, steal her suitcase and run out. And she'd holler, stop, no, thief. Pretty quietly. And when you think about it, the world is running after suitcases. They think hold something that will bring them happiness. But it never quite delivers. Jesus Christ's first sermon recorded in Scripture, called the Sermon on the Mount, identifies this true abiding happiness and how to discover it. Found in Matthew chapter 5. Nine times in nine verses, Jesus Christ will use the word for happiness that in Greek means fortunate, blessed, or happy. Jesus took the world's view of happiness and turned it upside down. The truth Jesus revealed was stunning for everyone. He claimed to know how to find that elusive element of life that mankind has been chasing all throughout, history, all throughout human history. True, lasting, genuine happiness. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 2. In those days, the traditional posture of a rabbi while teaching was actually sitting down. Whenever he sat and taught, it was official business. Even to this day, we refer to a professor occupying the chair of a department. We call the spokesman of a board or committee the chairman. He occupies the chair. The phrase here that says Jesus opened his mouth is a Greek expression used to de describe the, the delivery of serious weighty statements. This section of scripture is called the Beatitudes in most Bible outlines. The, world, the, the word simply means supreme happiness or supreme, or supreme blessedness. The Beatitudes are really the key to overcoming the me attitudes which stand in the way of supreme genuine happiness. And true happiness has nothing to do with external situations. It has everything to do with an internal spirit. So Christ's first statement stunned their minds and rocked their worlds. Listen to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.3 these people have been hearing for years, blessed are the perfect in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But Christ said, no, matter of fact, blessed are those who recognize they are not perfect in spirit. And so what does poor in spirit mean? The word poor translated refers to utter bankruptcy. And there were two kinds of poor people described in Jesus' day. 
The poor who were day laborers who and barely made enough money to buy food for one day at a time. And then there were the poor, which describes people who were bankrupt, who didn't have a nickel to begin with. It was poverty so, so deep, so, so deep, that the person must go, must go get help in order to survive. People, these poor, were entirely dependent on someone else for everything. Poverty of spirit is an awareness that in ourselves dwells no good thing. And that we are utterly and entirely dependent on Christ for everything. Listen to Romans chapter 7 verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Only the spiritually bankrupt inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's a wonderful quote that says, This signifies those who are brought to the sense of their sins. And seeing no goodness in themselves, despair in themselves and appeal wholly to the mercy of God in Christ. Until we are poor in spirit, we cannot receive grace. For we are swollen with self-excellency and self-efficiency. If the hand be full of pebbles, it cannot receive gold. Until we are poor in spirit, Christ is never precious. We only see our wants and never see Christ's worth. The world would say, happy is the man who, 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 who is always right. Blessed are those who have it all together. Christ effectively says, no, that's what you might think, but I say unto you, blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are those who find nothing in themselves and everything in Christ. And so what is poverty in spirit? What does that mean? The spirit here, here refers to the inner person, not the body. The spirit is that immaterial part of you that is dead prior to salvation and that justification is now alive and longs for and begs for the strength of Christ to carry us through the day and this life. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 66, 2. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. That is the difference between a Pharisee-like person and a child of God. The Pharisee-like person can tell you what he has. He's glad he or she is so good. A child of God mourns what he lacks. The tax collector in Luke 18.30 who could not even lift up his eyes to heaven while beating down his chest saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And so the Lord Jesus says in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, not like the other, referring to the Pharisee from before. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The world would say, don't talk about yourself like that. That isn't the path to happiness. But Jesus is turning the wisdom of the world upside down. 
Listen to this other powerful quote. Christian, do you grieve that you are so bad? Do you go from moment to moment needing God's supply? Do you complain to God that you lack grace? Do you complain that you need a broken heart, a thankful heart? These are good signs that you are poor in spirit and the kingdom of heaven belongs to you. Imagine that promise. The kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's theirs. It's theirs alone. Not just in the future, but right now. We are his subjects now. He is our king of kings and lord of lords right now. And even after you're saved through faith alone in Christ alone, having recognized your bankrupt spirit and sinful heart, you come to Christ for eternal forgiveness. And you know what? You never outgrow this kind of spirit that recognizes how utterly bankrupt we are, which keeps us in the grip of true humility. We can just be grateful to be the subjects of Christ's grace and mercy. The Beatitudes are really attitudes that should be a way of life for us. And let's, uh, let's look at two other surprising appearances of happiness. The first, is having happiness and commitment to God even when His will is confusing. So the angel came to Mary, a confused teenage girl. And Mary was no super saint, but rather someone who submitted to the confusing will of God. In her declaration of faith, she says, For behold, from now all generations will call me blessed. Luke one forty eight. And the word blessed in, there in Greek is translated to what? It's translated to be counted as fortunate, to be counted as happy, right? You might, say that, you might say that she was happy because she had been chosen to birth the Messiah, but happy in life, in, in all of her circumstances? I, I don't think so. I mean, Mary and Joseph ran for their lives into Egypt when she was pregnant. During Mary's life, she never lived down the suspicion that she, ha- that she had gotten pregnant out of wedlock. And the Pharisees will throw that in Jesus' face later in ministry. In fact, that same rumor persists even to this day that she had a liaison with a Roman soldier. Mary doesn't really understand the issue of Jesus' death and, and resurrection until after he raises from the dead. And if we are under the impression that happiness only occurs in the lives of those who clearly understand what God is doing in their lives, we need to think again. But Mary does not regret writing that testimony earlier in Luke chapter 1. Because happiness is indeed commitment to God even when His will is confusing. Happiness is also persistent, persistence when the will of God is painful. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. James 5.11 The context of this passage here is suffering. John Calvin mentioned in one of his sermons on this that the world would say a happy person is one who is free of pain. 
But Christ says a happy person is one who persists in following God in spite of pain. A large part of the reason is because these are the people who develop total and utter dependency on Christ. And every time we are driven in total desperation to Christ, when we're out of options, when we are not primarily chasing after the riches of this world and Christ becomes our only option, there we find true satisfaction. The actor and comedian Jim Carrey once said, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. And while not a Christian, Carrey articulates in this quote something important about the human drive to gain more and more and the lack of fulfillment that those circumstances bring. We all sort of have this habit of, I'll be happy when type of mentality. I'll be happy when I graduate. I'll be happy when I get married. I'll be happy when I get that job. I'll be happy when I get a raise. I'll be happy when I retire. The list of circumstances goes on and on because each time we reach our goal, our desired goal, we find ourselves unfulfilled and so we move on to the next I'll be happy when scenario. And is there any way out of that vicious cycle which we all are in at times? Paul, Paul adds a, a crucial point on all of this when he quotes Psalm 32 in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, saying, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul emphatically states that the blessing of forgiveness of sin cannot be earned by, by trying your hardest to live a good life. But instead it's freely given by God. You see, when, when we say, I'll be happy when, we are, looking, we are looking forward to a future fulfilling event. And we as Christians know that event already happened when Jesus atoned for the sins of his people and rose from the grave. The Christian doesn't look forward to an insecure blessing, but rather backward to the blessing earned for us on the cross. We should see right through the emptiness of the I'll be happy when type of thinking. And instead root our happiness in our blessed Savior Jesus and His finished work. A person who is poor in spirit can probably see, believe, and live. Life is much easier than a person who is not. As a matter of fact, I mean, Scripture says a person who is not can, will probably not live like this. And if I can invite the, the worship team up back up, please. And so let me let me let me finish let me finish with this story. 
Johnny Erickson Tara, the quadriplegic who has impacted the lives of so many people with her testimony, wrote in a magazine article as she was a speaker at a Christian woman's conference and one woman said to her, Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish that I had your joy. Johnny responded, I, I don't do it. In fact, let me tell you how, how I woke up this morning. This is my average day. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray. Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I, I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into this day. But you do, Lord. And she goes on to say, So whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. And in reality, it is only what I begged from God today. And that is why beggars are the truly happy ones. They have abandoned themselves to the all-sufficient resources of God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, we are truly so small. And I pray that you give us the, the conviction and assurance and security and confidence to know that our joy and happiness rests in you. I pray, Lord, that you forgive us for, for forgetting that at times, and I pray that you continue to give us the strength to wake up with that, with that attitude day in and, and day out. Thank you for all the things that, that you have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.